Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Unprecedented, the new podcast hosted by me, journalist Angelica Malin. Unprecedented times call for unprecedented support. And through this twice weekly mini series, I'll be chatting to the leading lights in a variety of fields about how not just to survive COVID-19, but thrive. Whether it's getting a grip on your anxiety, navigating a change in your work situation or managing your money, this podcast will provide the insights and expertise needed to help you through these strange and challenging times. Sheru Zadi is a behavioural change specialist and author of The Kindness Method and The Last Diet. Sheru has a revolutionary message. Treating yourself kindly is the only way to make changes that last. She's living proof that her method works. After years of disordered eating and extreme diets, she learned to feel more empowered around her food choices and completely changed her relationship with her body. Sheree, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So I'd just like to start with this, with every episode by just saying, how are you doing? Let's just check in. How are you feeling today? Thank you for asking. Um, I'm feeling good today, actually. I'm feeling for the first time since this all began. I feel like I've had a few days in a row of feeling quite calm. And I actually feel it's a Friday today. I actually feel like it is Friday, which is a first. So yeah, I feel good. I feel good. Thank you for asking. If I was to unpick that, I suppose you feeling like it's Friday means you've had some semblance of a working week. Yeah, I have. And you know what? I think that's what's made me realize again or uh, remember the value of routine right now is being able to punctuate things for myself. However, that looks is um, really, really important because, you know, of course, I was already working from home. Mm -hmm. So I was punctuating um, the end of a working day by going out (laughs) a lot of the time. Yeah. So now it's like, yeah, I feel like I'm a sort of a social experiment now. <laughs> well, you re- you really inspired me and um, made me think yesterday because you emailed me just before the end of the working day saying, I'm finishing work at five. Can you just, you know, give me a heads up about what we're talking about? And it was such a reminder to me that like, oh, the working day is meant to end because the night before I'd worked, I think, till about 11 and I then started again at about eight. And I was like, this is not normal. And it was only you saying that that made me realize that I've been doing that for weeks, just kind of stopping at six, maybe having some dinner and then going back to work around eight for a couple of hours because I'm like, I live alone and I've got nothing else to do. And I'm not that into TV. And actually, I don't think it's the healthiest thing, but it's so easy to fall into right now. You know what? I'm so glad you said that because when I sent you that email in the spirit of complete honesty, it was the first time. I mean, you've worked with me before. I'm very like people pleasy. Mm -hmm. And so it was the first time that I was like, you know what? I'm going to have to put this boundary down once and for all 
yeah. or else it's never going to happen. If it doesn't happen now, it's never going to happen. And I didn't realize until this period how much I was safeguarding my downtime by leaving the flat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's a good lesson for both of us. Not only did you um, put that boundary there, but you also made me think about my own boundaries. And rather than having the, the kind of opposite effect of offending someone, I was like, wow, I really respect that. And like, that's something I need to do as well. So I think it's a lesson to us all in having some better boundaries with work. <laughs> I think that's the best case scenario of an anxious mind, Jelly. <laughs> yeah, there we go. You can use me as a case study in future episodes. <laughs> um, I want to ask, how are you finding living alone at the moment? Because it's something that I have found quite difficult and I found myself falling into a, a whole of comparisonitis seeing other people doing puzzles together after work and drinking lots of wine mm-hmm. do you know what initially I've gone through so many uh, stages a couple of months ago I guess it was I've lost all sense of all time but whenever it was that we started thinking that things were getting scary I um I went to live with a couple of my friends and the idea was that we would all kind of isolate together And before lockdown, to be perfectly honest with you, it became so clear to me that whilst I felt cooped up in my flat, there was something about the control I had when there's so much chaos externally. There's something about keeping things as consistent as possible where I could. And so since coming back to my home, I have a renewed gratitude for it. I really, really do. All the tiny little things. You know, when you think, oh, I wonder where that pen is that I really like writing with. And it's like, well, I definitely didn't pack that, you know. And (laughs) all those tiny things that you totally take for granted. So, yeah, I find it difficult. But I guess I'm learning that I'm the type of person who would ultimately rather tap into contact when I want to have it, as opposed to have it be there as a default. Mm. So I in that sense it's, it's given me some real insight into myself I think there's an element of running away from wanting to be on your own and that's that's been the case for me is actually although at times it's uncomfortable if you actually unpick that a little bit and be like why is it uncomfortable it's often because there's something that you need to sort out something in your life that you need to work on perhaps and you just want to have other people around as a kind of buffer or just as a bit of noise and distraction and there's something I think very valuable in this time and it's just making you deal with things and that has been quite confronting at times and quite intense but I've also been like wow I don't think you'll ever get this amount of time again so you it's a good time to to be healing some of that Absolutely. And, you know, to sit with discomfort, I think is incredibly empowering. Mm. To to sit with short term discomfort and really listen to how we're speaking to ourselves and our bodily sensations, you know, ultimately, so much of my work comes down to things like impulse control and self compassion and and habit change. And this idea of being able to sit with oneself, and just sit um, with the absence of any activity and kind of inquire as to why you're finding it difficult with a compassionate curiosity can be um, really insightful. I'm also finding it really helpful to talk to myself. And I, I you know, I don't usually um, talk about <laughs> the usual advice I'd give on a mental health related podcast. But, you know, in the sense that sometimes when I need soothing, or I'm overwhelmed, I try to think about what I wish someone was around to tell me. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, I know what I want to hear. You know, I want to hear we're all in this and it's difficult and you're doing really well and look how far you've come. And look, you really do practice what you preach. I think in my case, that has been it's it's been the biggest test of integrity. You know, we all have our own little imposter pockets. And for me, it's been like, wow, no, no, no. What I've what I've you know, the changes I've made really have 
made a difference because if this had happened four or five years ago this would be looking very different for me yeah yeah absolutely I love that I gave myself a thing on Monday night I gave myself a proper 10 minute sit down conversation <laughs> I was like am I just going mad I'm glad you said that because I did afterwards I found it like incredibly soothing and I was like wow and yeah it felt like I had had a conversation with someone else I think you're right we do often know what we need to hear it helps enormously. You know, when I learned that, actually, aside from the self-care stuff that I've done, um, a couple of my really close friends either got were planning weddings or having kids at the same time. And I remember I kept sort of needing them. And I guess, I mean, it's so spoiled of me, but they weren't as on call as my friendships had been when we were at university or whatever. And I remember thinking to myself, what do you want them to tell you? What do you hope that they'll tell you? And don't get me wrong, my friends have all sorts of new insights to add. It's not like I'm, I, I know everything. But the fact is, a lot of the time when it comes to the soothing stuff, it is the sorts of things that we can start telling ourselves in the short term, you know, at least until someone calls back. Yeah, <laughs> until you get that FaceTime call, just do it to yourself. So talk to me about the kindness method. What is the kindness method? How did you come about writing it? The kindness method is a framework um, for habit change that's inspired by what I learned working in addiction treatment. And I realized working with people in long-term recovery from substance misuse, that there were all these extraordinary and free and simple tools that, that, that were using, that were being used in treatment services and rehabs and 12 step meetings. And I wanted to bring them all together, strip them down and make them useful for anyone wanting to change any habit on a day-to-day basis by building self-compassion, self-belief, self-awareness, and being able to plan in a realistic way that's not mean to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I came to write it because a journalist called Marisa Bate, um, who you, I, I know, you know, she, um, she asked me to help her when I was putting on workshops at the School of Life on habit change and trying to pilot all the stuff and get feedback and really tweak it. And she contacted me to say um, that she, we'd met a couple of times in the past, but we weren't friends. And she said, look, I've heard that you're doing this. I'm a journalist now. I've been um, struggling around my drinking. I don't want to be abstinent, but I feel like I'm using it a bit too much as a crutch right now. And I'd like to diversify my coping strategies for things like stress and anxiety. Um, Can you help me? And then long story short, she wrote an article. Um, I wasn't, I didn't even know what day it was going out. Um, And then one morning I woke up and I had all these emails and the literary agent got in touch and said, I think there's a book in this. So after that, we wrote the kindness method and it became a framework that anyone can take and use over and over and over again without having to spend any more money to gain more insight into the habits that they can't seem to change at any point in their lives. And why do you think kindness is so important, I suppose? And also, why is it so important right now? I think kindness, uh, the definition that I have for kindness has shifted enormously. And for me, it's been treating myself the way that I would treat a loved one. Because I realise that when you do that, you don't necessarily make the easy choice all the time. You're able to balance it out and make the choice that's in your best interests overall and takes into consideration your overall well-being and your mental health and how you'll feel tomorrow. Whereas so often previously, I defined kindness as what I really need to do right now, impulsive, um, hasty, do whatever you like behavior. Just tap out and don't be conscious. Not not conscious. uh, Yeah, I guess don't be mindful, you know, Mm -hmm. just tap out. That was kindness to me. And now I realize that kindness is actually really tapping into how I'm feeling and being okay with it. And also believing in my capacity to make changes and make decisions that I'll be happy I made tomorrow as well as right now. 
and little shifts I notice, you know, the way I speak to myself when we have a blip. I say this all the time, but I feel like I can't say it enough. Every, you know, when I go into a room nine out of 10 times, if not more, when I ask people what they would tell a loved one, if um, they wanted them to succeed at something that was difficult, the messages that they would give them are wildly different to the messages that they give themselves um, when they don't quite do something perfectly um, in in a change plan. And so I think kindness comes down very much to the way we speak to ourselves, Mm. uh, the way we treat ourselves when no one's looking, treating ourselves like a person who is intelligent and worthy of respect. (laughs) And I think, you know, when you shift the language in the way in which you talk to yourself, you then also notice the way in which other people talk to you. And I think it helps you understand what you're worthy of. And I I felt this often in relationships, the time that I've been in relationships that I have allowed people to push the boundaries or not treat me with respect or not make me feel good is usually the point in which I'm not being kind to myself or my, or I'm overcome with negative self-talk. And I think that's so important for shifting the dial on not only how you treat yourself, but how you allow other people to treat you. Absolutely. And I found, you know, even the fact that I've managed to do that a little bit, knowing how really, I was about to swear, how really difficult it was, that has also helped me set boundaries and in my relationships and expect more. Because there's a part of me that thinks, you know what, I've worked really, really, really hard. (laughs) And I deserve to feel the benefits of that. And a lot of the benefits are not going to be obvious ones that other people notice immediately. They're going to be internal ones that dictate how I engage with other people and the the quality of my relationships and what I accept and all of that stuff. I think the self-efficacy can, that, that comes with being able to change is, um, and pleasantly surprise ourselves is totally transferable mm-hmm. when it comes to our, you know, our relationships, our colleagues, everything. What are some of the things you can do if you have identified that you are, not treating yourself with kindness that you're overcome with negative self-talk what's some of the practical exercises and techniques that people can do at home to try and shift that dial towards self-kindness and compassion I think first and foremost um when you put a challenge in front of yourself any um any disruption to the status quo that you impose even if it's waking up 15 minutes earlier every morning that's such a golden opportunity to first listen in to how you are speaking to yourself. Are you um, creating, are you negotiating, creating caveats, etc., Or are you saying, I knew this was going to be difficult. I can do difficult things. We've got this. Let's do this. As if you were coaching someone else. So I think first and foremost, remember that so much of that pep talk that you might need from a motivational coach or someone like me, you can absolutely give yourself. And it makes an enormous difference. And I think one thing that a lot of people seem to like you know, every now and then you'll put different exercises out there and you can't guess which ones people will find really useful. One of them that people really like is this paperclip challenge that I mentioned a couple of times where you start the day with a bunch of paperclips or small pieces of paper or whatever in one pocket. Every time you catch yourself being horrible to yourself, you move one piece of paper into the other pocket. And at the end of the day, you sort of look at how frequently it's happened And that can be a really nice visual to draw our attention to how it's not helped us in any way throughout that day. And yet the frequency with which it's, it's, it's happening is often increasing. So yeah, those kinds of practical tools I find really useful. I think often it's just, first off, it's just creating the awareness that's even happening. I think sometimes we let it so dominate that we're just really used to having this negativity in our minds. And then we're surprised that we can't change or we're doing things that we know are harming ourselves. And I think bringing in awareness is always the first step 
with these things. And what about comparison? We touched on it before, but um, especially in terms of productivity during lockdown, I think it's somewhere... Something I've noticed with a lot of my friends is creating negativity around that they're not using the time productively enough or they're comparing themselves to others with how they're spending their time. How do we kind of step away from that mindset and being hard on ourselves over productivity? I think this is a period when we have a rare opportunity to really notice the moments when we personally have surges of productivity. So say, for example, you and I have been working from home for a while. I've established certain things that I know about myself like there are certain times in the day that I get hungry and that's not dictated by uh, my colleagues or a canteen or any kind of a framework there are certain times of the day where I seem to be really in flow and working and so I think right now it's quite a nice opportunity to just tap into when you naturally feel those bursts and ride that wave where you can and see it as an opportunity to create your own framework when you don't have one based on how you feel and what works for you, like I remember when I first, um, when I got a book deal and an advance, it meant I could not work and just write. And people were like, oh, you, you know, waking up at dawn and going to a lake or everyone had their own ideas of what it looked like. Why would you be going to a lake? Yeah, like a lake house, you know, like a love house. Oh, I see, I thought you meant like just, you know, lake. <laughs> I was like, no, I, was like, going for a I know what you mean. Like, yeah, you went for like a writing retreat in the middle of nowhere yeah. somewhere. Everyone had their own thing. And I was like, no, I'm going to stay up until the middle of the night when no one can bother me with emails. And then I'm going to wake up at 10 a.m. I'm going to live my best student life. Because someone <laughs> paid me to write a book. And then interestingly enough, the more I allowed myself to just do to just be myself and surrender to my natural, often lazy vibes. I actually noticed that it became a lot easier to tweak it. And now I do wake up earlier. And actually, I do like waking up in the morning. And actually, the outside is a nice place to write. So I think first and foremost, it's about acknowledging yourself the way you are, right? This isn't a process of finding yourself, just meet yourself, be cool with who you're meeting. And interestingly enough, I think when all that resistance comes away, and you can be free, you actually do start doing a lot more of the common sense stuff. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Meet yourself first. It's so true. I'd like to just touch on habits because um, I think it's a, a very interesting time for identifying some of our unwanted perhaps habits. I'm thinking specifically around food and drink. There's been a lot of features around people drinking a lot more and we've seen that alcohol is like the first thing to sell out in all the supermarkets. What can people do if they notice that there's a habit that is perhaps unwanted to start to change that such as something like drinking? I think... First of all, do not beat yourself up about it. I do not believe that there's any value in it. I believe that when it comes to the habits that we know aren't great for us, we all know the downsides. So reminding ourselves of it or reminding others of it, I think is just kind of patronizing. I think it's worth thinking about what's right about it. If you're, you're an intelligent, capable person. So if you're using something more than you'd rather be, what, you know, ask yourself why. What's it doing for me? How is this serving me? Without judgment. If it was like you were eating too many oranges or too many, too much kale or whatever, you know? Yeah. In exactly the same way. Why am I going to this? How is it serving me? And once you've established the, the pros almost, you can start to look at other activities that you can bring in. So rather than saying, I'm going to immediately drink less, before you do that, say, right, well, drinking helps me feel less stressed. Drinking helps me punctuate the end of a day. So how about I do one other thing, I practice one other thing that keep, help, helps me feel less stressed before I have a drink this evening? How about I ensure that once I, that, 
that I only have a drink when it is the end of the day and give myself those kinds of guidelines, as opposed to what we often do, which is rashly think, this is bad for me, it's got to stop. Um, And then we just take two steps forward, three steps back, and we just keep being horrible to ourselves, as opposed to thinking, you know what, I'm a human being, I'm under pressure, this thing is really good at helping with that. But, you know, over time, I know that the the returns tend to diminish. So what am I going to do? Um, what else is in my toolkit so that this isn't on heavier rotation? I remember that in a talk we did together last year that you said to me that if you only have one thing that you do to cope, then that's a problem. And I think that's very much the case with alcohol is that if you're only using alcohol to try and calm down, I guess that's when it becomes problematic. But if you can try and do things like yoga or just go for a walk as a way of de-stressing before you kind of like reach for the rosé, perhaps that's a healthier way of doing things. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it's just about, it's just the kinder way. I don't think we need to be punishing ourselves in the first instance. I think we need to be understanding ourselves better and creating the path of least resistance. So it isn't a set of false starts and cruelty. Yeah, absolutely. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And what about food? Um, I think there's a lot of talk of guilt around food at the moment I'm seeing so many features on magazines about um, how not to gain weight during lockdown and how to eat healthier and how to resist snacking and I, I don't it, it does annoy me to be honest because I think if we come out of this a little bit fatter then you're doing okay um, if that's the worst that happens and I think you know food is a comfort and I think we should allow it to be so but I suppose for people that feel that they feel guilty for eating more than they would normally do you have any advice to share on that? Truth be told, I've been finding it really difficult because, you know, um, I've been asked to write a lot of those articles and people do genuinely worry about this and it is on their minds and I can relate to a time where it would have been on my mind. But I think there are some people for whom, because of disordered eating habits, not too much of a good thing or thinking that things are too delicious or, you know, but because of disordered eating habits, um, they feel that right now when they need most to feel as strong and calm and positive as possible, it's actually the case that for them, 
comfort eating the way that they do doesn't make them feel that way. And I can totally relate to that. Like I've had to go through a whole unlearning process and a recovery process before I've been able to treat food as a true comfort. Mm-hmm. And so for a few years ago, it would have been really triggering for me to be in the house with increased anxiety and increased stress. And I, you know, um, unwanted weight is a is a whole other issue. And it's, um, I think it's everyone's prerogative to look at that however they like. But in my case, the concern would have been not that I would come out of this necessarily um, having gained weight, it would be that I would come out of this having engaged in behaviors that make me feel crap mental health wise as well and mm-hmm. lethargic because I just never learned to comfort eat in a way that was comforting from beginning to end yeah um, I have now but as I say I mean I'll be perfectly honest with you I've had nights of anxiety over it how do you give people advice when they really 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 want it and then once an article is edited get across how nuanced and how much you I, I can't tell you how much I feel right now so strongly that if it's not a problem for you, it's not a problem. Yeah. It's not. In the same way that there are people for whom alcohol right now will be a real trigger and for other people who are like, no, it's fine, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to kind of remember that we all have our own story around this. And I even spoke to my counsellor about this. I was like, I don't know. It's so difficult to know where I stand because I used to be the person who cared about the weight, so I would have read that article. And so I see my work as a bit of a Trojan horse to be like, okay, okay, yeah, it'll help you lose weight if probably if you start if you stop binging as often, <laughs> you know, because that's how I did because I I healed my disordered eating and the byproduct for my body happened to be lost weight. But the the approach that I want people to take is absolutely to find a place where there isn't any guilt around food and that is genuinely the joy and the comfort that I think the majority of the population can enjoy when they don't have the horrible disordered history that people like me and other seasoned dieters and bingers and restrictors and all those things have. I think that's why it's so difficult because we have a responsibility to ourselves in the media that we take in and what we allow to affect us but there's also responsibility I think on platforms for what they put out I don't know if you saw the BBC2 program around the restaurant that burns calories Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I mean I was raging about it because I suffered from disordered eating at university which was triggered I think with hindsight and lots of hours of therapy um, by the program super size versus super skinny and I didn't know it at the time but I was watching a lot of that show and it got into my head that if you under eight that you would be skinnier and you'd be happier and you'd be healthier and I was watching that show and that at the time it created an understanding in me that took years of undoing and I perhaps didn't have the awareness at the time of what it was doing but we now have responsibility to ourselves when we are conscious of these things not to take them in and to know that it can affect us I suppose but there's also I think quite a fine line about what we're putting out and what we're allowing young people to see. Well totally and I feel like you know, I I find it difficult when people put out how disappointed they are in programs like that, because I am too. But then I feel like I still have an allegiance to all those people who are where I was four or five years ago, because that's how I lived my entire life. And so if that program had come out a few years ago, I would have watched it. Mm. Like now, obviously, it's I don't... <laughs> I don't have any interest in that whatsoever. And I probably have very similar opinions to you. But equally, I feel like I have a responsibility to all of those people who aren't there yet. And I don't feel like it's fair to feed us one thing. Not I shouldn't use the word feed. (laughs) Tell us that we're meant to be one thing for a lifetime. And then to be like, no, we flip the script now. 
And, you know, we want to be on board, but it takes that unlearning. It takes that retraining and normalizing. And I can't tell you, Jelly, how many clients I have who will only tell me privately that they're not quite there yet, that the behaviors that they've grown up to learn through the dieting and all sorts of things are not ones they want to pass on to their daughters. But before that can be the case, there's got to be a space to have an honest conversation about the fact that you can't change the way you're thinking that quickly. And I don't want people to be scared to say that programs like that are ones that they feel inclined to watch. I don't want them, you know, I'm, I'm not encouraging them to watch them. But if you feel inclined, I don't want you to be scared that you're going to be judged because you still care. Mm-hmm. Um, because we were, it was made this way. We were meant to care. And now we're told we shouldn't. And I get it. I'm on board. But I've been doing a lot of work on that. Yeah. And there's a difference between caring about feeling good and then obsessing over trying to be perfect or trying to be constantly healthy. And there's just so many considerations because we do want to be happy in our minds. And I know that I feel better when I eat healthier. Um, So I I don't like to advocate that you should just let yourself always eat what you want the whole time because you don't always feel good when you do that. So there's there's so many factors that go into it. This is the thing, Jelly. Some people do. Mm. And I think this is something that I've had to learn. is that my story is a valid one. And I think that sometimes, especially people who go into like the sort of expert by experience space, it's very difficult to navigate that space where you're being totally honest and you're also holding back on the bits where you don't want to influence other people with your story, but you want to defend your story. And I know that mine is one that a lot of people resonate with and that a lot of people don't feel comfortable talking about outwardly. And so for me, it's been a big part of learning how to be brave and say things that other people disagree with, which has been something I've never wanted to do my whole life. Yeah. But I think more than ever, I feel like I'm a voice for some of the people who come to me and say, I'm so sorry, I'm just not there yet. I watched the program and I cared and, oh, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that comes back to compassion and self-kindness, doesn't it? Of appreciating where you are on your own journey with these things. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Thank you, Shrew. That's so useful and such an amazing insight. I've got a few questions from Twitter um, because mm-hmm. on every episode I like to get some questions. I was inundated, so I've got four questions for you um, that I've picked out. The first one was from Mara who asks, how do we maintain and continue with the successful habits we've built during lockdown when we're back to, quote, normal life when lockdown is lifted? I think you're going to find it easier than you could ever imagine, Mara, because um, if you can do it now, with the lack of structure, the lack of routine, um, the the heightened levels of stress and anxiety and boredom, then I think you're going to be absolutely fine when normal life is back. Mm-hmm. And there are a bunch of new options. I think this is like the ultimate boot camp for habits. So I would say just trust in your capacity to um, that if you're doing things under the most difficult circumstances possible, then when you have more supports in place, um, and hopefully your stress and anxiety and boredom levels have decreased. It'll be even easier. Yeah, absolutely. I've got another question from Laura Jones. So it's, we've kind of touched on it, but um, she asks how to get out of bad habits during lockdown, e.g. constant snacking, working longer, constantly watching the news. Friction. Laura Jones, friction. Make it easier to do the things you want to be doing more of and make it harder to do the things you want to be doing less of. So um in the case of the snacking if you don't want to be snacking as much I really like delay tactics I really like saying you know what I'm going to do something for half an hour whatever it is and then I'll do whatever I like and seeing if the urge passes and if you notice that it was more of an emotional craving than a physical one 
um, a lot of the time we don't give ourselves time to actually notice how quickly we can self-regulate. Um, and I don't think, you know, I don't say that in the spirit of consuming less. I say that in the spirit of demonstrating to yourself that you can ride a craving and really feel your bodily sensations and establish whether it is your tummy or your head wanting food. Um, again, working longer, we were saying earlier, make your boundaries click, communicate them. I think this is a time when we're going to have to communicate them to other people more than ever. We're not sat next to people in an office. They can't see how much stress we're under. Communicate for sure. And I think watching the news and tech in general, um, I've got to be honest with you. I think I told you this before, Jelly. I had this rule that I got really good at where at the beginning of the end of the day, I just wouldn't look at my phone. Um, oh, it was amazing. And then when this all kicked off, I just properly relapsed. I mean, I was like falling asleep with Twitter falling on my head. You know, I was like, that's it, proper relapse. <laughs> and then after a few days, as with so much of this personal development stuff, you normalize it, you take it for granted until you neglect it. And you're like, whoa, I really didn't realize how much that was helping me. I didn't give it enough credit at all. It just became my new normal. Yeah. And so I've immediately gone back to that. And any apps like Twitter, Oh, just thinking about the word Twitter stressed me out. Um, and so what I've started to do is create, um, Tanya Gooden gave me this idea, the author of Log Off. She said you should treat some things like junk food <laughs> and enjoy them when you can really enjoy them and use them when, you know, you, but, but realize that scattering them throughout your day isn't, it, it doesn't serve you. Yeah. Um, and so what I do now is I have a few apps that I know if I go to look at them in the day, it's because I'm trying to distract myself from something. It's not because I genuinely need to look at it. And if possible on, on Instagram, what I do at the moment, because oh gosh, at the moment, at the beginning of all this, I could not be bothered to exercise at all. I just wasn't up for it. And all I kept seeing was exercise everywhere. I mean, it was like everyone had a secret gym I didn't know about in their houses. Um, and I just couldn't be bothered to do anything. And so I just started muting away. Mute, mute, mute. Didn't I didn't see another bloody burpee for like <laughs> two weeks. And when I would post something on Instagram, because I know myself, I know that when I'm feeling anxious, having a crisis of confidence, especially when you're self-employed, you know, not making as much money, all of that stuff. I, I knew that Instagram was going to be a trigger and I was going to need more external validation. Tell me I'm good. Tell me I'm doing right. Tell me you love my book. Tell me you love me. <laughs> and I thought, you know what, this is, a this is a time to impose friction. This is a time to not just delete Instagram when I post something, but log out as well. And so by friction, I mean speed bumps. How many speed bumps are there between me wanting to check it and actually checking it? And those are little reminders you set yourself, like my yoga mats in the middle of my kitchen right now, because I've told myself, you're going to do a, you're going to do a stretch on your way to coffee in the break after this podcast. And it's there. I have to walk over it, yeah. you know? So I think just make it easier for yourself, I guess. Yeah. Because I spoke to Chloe Brotheridge the other day and she was saying that she deletes it every day. I, I learned it. I actually learned that from Chloe. Mm. Because I love that I love that all of us who use social media so much for our jobs and you know we have to go on it really have like really don't want to a lot of the time and have to create a lot of friction between us and these apps I think the more and more I get into the world of well-being the more grateful I feel for the people you know our extended friendship group etc who have we've really had to do this stuff for ourselves yeah in our private lives 
you know, more and more we're practicing what we preach. I told you this at the beginning of this call before we were recording how much I respected how you dealt with something recently, because I think we just really, um, we've needed this stuff. We've gone looking for it for ourselves. Yeah. You know, so we are practicing it. And Chloe is, wow, such an example of that. Such a hero. So yeah, her tools are amazing. And I learned that from her. Amazing. I've got another question here from Steve Keith, who's asked any tips for dealing with a household member who's refusing to change their behavior to help everyone through this. Ooh. Juicy. Juicy. Ooh. <laughs> like an agony aunt section. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Ooh. Um, household member who's refusing to change their behavior. Well, I think first of all, any sort of coachy response would be identify what you can control, identify how they're triggering you a lot of the time when it comes to habits especially and coping strategies that we'd rather not be leaning on a lot of the time we respond to someone annoying us by doing something unkind towards ourselves Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I would say just be conscious of the impact they're having on you and how you can protect yourself and I think just inquisitive questions a lot of the time um you know how do you see this going how are you feeling how can I help you? How are you feeling really? I know we throw this stuff around a lot, but it's extraordinary how much um, insight you can get into people and and how much more compassion you can have. You know, the more and more I sit with people um, in a room, especially if it's a person who I didn't initially warm to or something, the more I hear more about what's going on internally and the context of their lives the more compassion I can have for almost any story. Now, don't get me wrong. If someone deeply annoying was living in my house, I don't think I'd be this Dalai Lama about it. (laughs) So it is about being practical. And also carve out a space for yourself where you can sit and establish what you can control and what you can't control. Um, Because, you know, as you know, and we keep, I've done so many codependency support groups. (laughs) We just can't control other people. And It's really annoying. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And then the final question is from Shannon Moyer, who asks, what do you recommend regarding self-care during this time? I find it too easy to get wrapped up in work. And since nobody's seeing me, not set enough time for things like skincare and exercise. I mean, we obviously we've already talked about the friction point with exercise. Mm -hmm. Um, Any, any advice on that? I think the not, no one seeing me thing is really interesting. Um, I find my clients when we talk or workshop attendees who, um, whose habits seem to become ingrained in a much more meaningful long-term way over the years are often the ones who've had to live alone (laughs) because they have to start caring about how they behave when no one sees them and no Mm -hmm. one's watching. And I can't tell you how many clients I have who come in and will say, oh, I would never do that if my husband was home or I would never do that if my children were watching. And I guess my question is, why doesn't it matter what you're seeing? You know, why doesn't it matter um, how much joy you're allowing yourself to have on a day-to-day basis? Why doesn't it matter how you're taking care of yourself when no one's watching? Um, I've had to learn that. You know, I've had to learn little things like the importance of preparing a meal as though I had a guest and lighting a candle, even though it's expensive and no one's coming around. <laughs> I know this sounds like I live a deeply lonely life, but um, <laughs> no, it's that I had everything on hold and I always needed to feel accountable. But it's extraordinary the boost in self-esteem you can get when you tell yourself you're going to do something and you do it, not because someone else is watching, 
or someone else will benefit. But because you said you were going to do it and you did um, and you held yourself accountable, I think that's a really lovely and often underestimated feeling. Yeah. And like no judgment for the candle. I gave myself a little outdoor midnight picnic the other night, candle and all in my balcony. <laughs> you know what I told Date you? Date yourself. <laughs> Quite. You know what I did um, the other day? I had all these goodie bags. You know, we, we get... One of the greatest perks of my job is even when I don't get paid, I get a decent goodie bag. <laughs> and I um, I had so much. I had all these samples and stuff. And the other day I found myself washing my entire body with face wash. Because <laughs> I was like, why doesn't the rest of my body deserve what my face deserves? <laughs> and so I've been noticing like, why don't I treat myself like a guest? And you know what? Just to bring it back to habit change, because there are so many people who are more qualified in self-care as a theme than I am. For me, self-care has been an extraordinary help when it comes to habit change. Because frankly, change is hard. Doing hard things is easier when you feel good. (laughs) And when you wash your body. (laughs) And you remember that your experience matters and your body matters and um, your quality of life matters. So whether it's putting on music in the morning um, I think that those tiny habits lead on from each other. If I wake up in the morning and I do some affirmations, I'm also more likely to, I don't know, put an extra kind of spirulina or something in my smoothie. And once I do that, I'm more likely to just do, feel gratitude throughout. It just has a nice knock-on domino effect when you just start doing tiny things that make you feel good. Yeah, absolutely. And it just starts with the small things, doesn't it? It really does. Sheree, thank you so much for coming to chat to me today. I think that'll be so useful to so many people. If uh, people would like to go and find out more about you, where should they go online? I've said this so many times on podcasts recently, but it's totally true. If you just Google the name Sheree, <laughs> you'll find out. Is, is that because your parents made it up? I believe it's the female version of an existing name, <laughs> Iranian name, which is Shahrukh, which is my dad's name. But I... Um, Yes, I think it's made up. There is a horse on YouTube called Sheru. Lovely. My money, because the owner of this horse is loves it very much. And uh, do far better uh, PR than I have currently for myself. Um, but yeah, just put Sheru in. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. I've got a website, but it's just Sheru is Adi. Well, speaking of names, Chloe Brotheridge told me yesterday that we should all um, create a character out of our inner critic, and hers was Angelica from the Rugrats. So I was like, great, I'm your inner critic. Oh, gosh, I didn't make that connection. I've not heard that name ages. Retro. <laughs> Sheree, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. That was great. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate and review the podcast so more people can find it. You can also follow me on social media at Jelly Malin on all platforms. There's two new episodes out every week, so subscribe now so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.